like two weeks off and everything feels a little, a little off going through the service to me. You'd think after, you know, 400 of these would, would be good, but it's still a little weird to me. I did notice this. Did John use the giant Bible when we were gone? No? I left it for him with this note, right? Small words are difficult to read. Try these because you can see them from space. Anyway, notice it was still in there. Uh, for you, though, let's open up our Bibles to Psalm 67 this morning. Uh, we've been working through summer psalms, a psalm a week, uh, all over. We're kind of making our way through it. We've been doing it for, I think this is our eighth or ninth summer. At one point, we were on pace to finish in 2028. I don't know if we're still on that pace, but this is our last one of the summer. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have, just taking a summer break and getting into the, the nourishment of the psalms. And so, uh, Psalm 67 is called a missionary psalm. Uh, as, as, as Charles Spurgeon puts it, he says, the great theme of the psalm is the participation of the Gentiles in the worship of Jehovah. Now, before I, I do read this this morning, or we read this together this morning, I want to remind you, in, in chapter 24 of Luke's gospel, our, our Lord Jesus told his disciples, he said, uh, about these three events that, that needed to happen, that were going to happen to bring salvation to the earth. And, and here's what our Lord said. He said, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now, two-thirds of those things on that list, right, two-thirds of those have actually already occurred completely, right? Has Christ suffered upon the cross? Has Jesus risen from the dead? Right? And has repentance for the forgiveness of sins been proclaimed in Jesus' name to all nations? Well, that one is still going on. It it has happened, but it continues to go on, and it will continue until Christ returns. Now, um, and also, right, Jesus accomplished 100% of those first two things all by himself. It's all his doing. And, and yet our Lord has graciously called you and I, you, you know, to participate in this third one, in this proclamation, and spreading this, this glorious message of eternal hope to the ends of the earth, everywhere. So let's, let's look then at this, this short psalm. Um, follow along as I'll, I'll read it out loud. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the peoples with with equity and, and guide the nations upon earth. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Abba, Father, as we finish out our time in the Psalms this summer, we ask, that, we ask you to illuminate our hearts, to understand your word. We ask you to stir our affections for you, for your glory, for evangelism, for worship. Please make my week of study into a feast in your word for your people today. Holy Spirit, move us to compassion and to proclamation. And this we pray in in Jesus' holy name. Amen. And so our, our unnamed psalmist here, right? We don't know who he is, but he begins this corporate prayer by asking God, Uh, to be gracious to them, to us, right? He's included in this. This is plural. And he's asking God to make his face to shine upon the whole covenant community. And and, and so we're seeing that right off the bat. Now, 
Does that phrase sound familiar to you when you hear that, make his face to shine upon us? It's something we, we hear before. It's a, it's a common benediction, right? A, a word spoken over God's people that we do at the end of the service. And, and it comes originally from the book of Numbers, Numbers 6. Um, and, and this is occurring, right, Numbers 6. This is, this is after God has delivered his people from Egypt, from slavery. And, and here he is speaking to Moses and he's instructing Moses' brother, Aaron, who's kind of the, the spokesman, right? The man who is the, the first high priest over Israel. And, and he's instructing him and he says... Go bless the people of Israel, Aaron, and you do that by speaking this over them. And I'm I'm reading now from Psalm 6. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This idea of a a shining face, this is part of our our current language. We we hear it often, right, in in various things. You might say, right, when, when she looks at him, her face just lights up. Right? There's a, a joy there. There's an affection, a, a love. Now, when Scripture speaks about the face of God, it's, it's a metaphor, right? God doesn't literally have a face in the way that you and I do, not, um, not God the Father, right? Uh, and so it's this metaphor, metaphor that is referring to the presence of God and how he relates to his people. In the Scripture, when we see God hide his face, he's pulling back his presence, he's pulling back his favor. If God's face shines towards us, his presence is near, his, his favor is, is for his people. And so the psalmist is here asking for God's blessing. And, and, and what do we mean when we say that we want God's blessing? Right? What, what do you and I mean when we, we say that? That's a word as Christians, oh bless this and bless that. And not just in the southern way, but right, we really want God's blessing in some, some regard. And, and, and usually when we say that phrase, we mean some sort of shallow aspirations right, that are, that are asking God for things we want. Prayers that, that sound like, oh, God bless me, make, make me rich, make me famous, grant my dream job, give us a house and a very safe neighborhood that we can live in. Can, can you make my life, God, about as close to paradise on earth as possible? That's all I ask is your blessing. And, and listen, I don't mean to even shame you for those things. Those things can be a blessing of the Lord. They absolutely can be. It's not always wrong to ask for them. It's never wrong to, to thank the Lord when you receive blessings even like that. But, but those are not the deeper. They're not the more substantial blessings of God. The greater part of God's blessing is His favor. It's His presence. It's, it's a personal relationship with Him. It's the grace and the knowledge of who God is. It's peace with God. It's, it's having a heart that can worship God. That's the greater blessing. It's to be intimately known and loved by God. Now listen, all too often, if we're honest, you you and I tend to be a little bit like kids and cats when it comes to this. A a great new toy arrives, it comes in the mail, and if you ever notice, kids and cats, you you pull out the gift and you put it aside and the kids are like, this box is amazing, let's get in there and look around, right? And, And... Kids and cats, they're kind of the same. Uh, and, and, and this actual gift is sitting there, and you just kind of want to be like, the box is fine, we'll play with it later, but look, this is the real gift. This is what came in the mail. This is the thing with value. This is the real thing. And, and, and earthly blessings pale in comparison to the true blessing of just God himself. James Montgomery Boyce wisely said, to know God and to be favored by God is the greatest blessing anyone can experience in this life or the life to come. There is no greater blessing. Now there's one significant difference between number six 
and, and what we see, right, Aaron's blessing in the book of Numbers and, and our prayer in the psalm today, and, and that's that there's this, this purpose clause attached here. You, you see it there in, in verse 2, right, at the very beginning, right? In, in other words, it's, it's this prayer that says, we want your blessing, Lord. We, we, want, we want the box and the gift that came in the box. We want them all, but not just for an easy, comfortable life. That's not the end here. And, and so what does he say here? What, what's the psalmist say? Uh, right, here's the purpose, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. What, why bless your covenant people, God? Why do we desire that? So that other nations will know your ways, God. And, and then you see verses 3 and 5, same, right? They're same words. Uh, it's this call for the people of the earth to praise God. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And in verse 4, there's a, a prayer for God to let the nations be glad and to sing for joy. Which, here's the thing. Sometimes we read through the Psalms and we're like, oh, that sounds good. And you just kind of move on. But, but think about that for a minute. Think about this in this, in this context. How, how messed up is that prayer? If you just think about it for a minute. He's talking about enemy nations. Right? The enemy nations. It's, it's not like some benign Canada next door. These are, you know, evil nations in a lot of ways. These are pagans. These are idol worshipers. These are people who sacrifice their own children to false gods. These are people who have sanctified sexual depravity in their worship of idols. And again, we're not talking Canada. We're, we're thinking nations, right, that, that hate Israel. Nations that want nothing but destruction for God's people. And, and you're praying for those nations. God, let those nations be glad. Let them sing for joy. That's messed up. On some level. It's this prayer for the Gentiles to experience the same blessings of Israel. To know God. And I'll ask you, right? Do, do you want the blessing of the Lord to be experienced by other nations of the world? Right? We're, we're quick to sing, God bless America. And we should, and we mean that, and we want that. We really do desire that. But do you want God to bless Malaysia? Do you want God to bless Russia, China, Iran? You, you, ever, you ever prayed, you know, Lord, let, let North Korea be glad and sing for joy? This Kim Jong-sung guy, wouldn't that be great, right? Do you ever pray that? Or, or let's make it a little more local, a little more individual, right? Do you, do, do you want God to bless those who you view as enemies in your life? God, make them to know the gladness and the joy of knowing you that I have. Listen, I don't, I don't know who your enemy list is. I can't open up your heart and look there, right? Is it Nancy Pelosi, Donald Trump, Putin, Zuckerberg? It may be Jake from State Farm. I don't know why he'd be it, but maybe Jake. Who knows? Right? Who are, who are these enemies? You know, the person driving with the LGBTQ plus sticker on the back of their, their car? Does that drive you nuts? That's your enemy? Maybe that neighbor who keeps letting their dog poop in your yard over and over again? Right? Who, who are these enemies? I, I don't know, but I, I get the sense that often we care more about others being forced to obey God than, or, or simply just squashed for, for their sin than we care about God knowing them and them knowing God, being at peace with God, them, them coming into to worship the Lord, to, to gather with God's people as, as converted worshipers. Now, now listen, it has always been God's plan, always been his heart to bring the nations in. This is not like a late thing, like, you know what? 
kind of sick of the Israelites. Let's bring the Gentiles in. It's, it's, that's not what's happening. It's always been his plan, right? To, to bless the nations through blessing his people. When, when God establishes covenant with Abraham, right, in, uh, in the opening verses of Genesis 12, you can turn over there if you've got it. Uh, it's the first book. makes it real easy to get there. Uh, Genesis 12, and there God tells Abraham, he says, go from your country and, and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Right? There's the blessing. He's going to bless him. He's going to make his name great. And again, we're going to see a purpose clause here, a purpose for why God is blessing Abram. And it says, so that you will be a blessing. It goes on, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you, listen to this, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's blessings have always been intended to make us people who have an outward-oriented outward missional impulse in our lives. You, you think of the great commission the Lord gave in Matthew 28, right? Go therefore and make disciples, right, of people just like you. No, of all nations, all nations. I think about the Samaritan woman at the well. She, she comes to believe on, on Jesus. She, she receives the, this blessing of salvation, you know. And the first thing she does is she goes and tells the people in her hometown, there's this guy, Jesus, you need to know about him. You need to know him. Come meet him. I want to introduce you to this guy. You've got to go and meet him right now. It, is that how you feel about Jesus? Do you long for your neighbors to know him, your friends to know him? Is that how, how we feel? And so then, the final two verses, the psalmist makes reference to this abundant harvest, and it seems kind of random. Why the harvest all of a sudden? And this mix of this blessing, right? It's kind of about the box at this point. This, this harvest, right, is, uh, the harvest would be the one very obvious, seeable thing for the outside nations to look in and see how God has blessed his, his, his people, right? It's this abundant harvest. They could see that. And they're thankful for that. You see, God in his sovereign grace has provided rain and sunshine. He's, he's kept the bugs at bay. He's made these crops plentiful so that these surrounding nations can see that. And then he speaks with confidence to the future, saying, God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. He's expecting more of it. And then finally, that last line, let, the, let all the ends of the earth fear him. Fear him. I don't, I don't have time to go into great detail today. We have in the past. But, but understand that saying fear God is like saying worship God. That, that's the heart of what's going on. There is a reverence, there is an awe before the Lord that, that is understood as fear. And so it might help if you just read this even, right? Verse 7 is, Let the ends of the earth reverently worship God. That's the desire. And so throughout the Old Testament, there are stories of, of God blessing the Gentiles through his people, bringing them into his covenant people. Uh, and by Gentiles, we mean anyone who wasn't a Jew, anyone who wasn't an Israelite. And he's blessing him through his people, like, like Rahab the prostitute, who ends up being in the lineage of our Lord, like, like Ruth, who's in the same lineage, like, like Naaman the leper, to just name a few of people that were brought into God's covenant people from outside nations. And yet the, the true answer, right, to, to the prayer of our psalmist today comes to the saving grace with Jesus accomplished on the cross for his people. 
That's the fulfillment, right? Even of the blessing that he speaks of to Abraham back in, Abra- in, in Genesis 12, and, and, and which comes to us through simple faith in, in Jesus. We, we have received the ultimate blessing of the Lord, and, and by that I mean we have received, as Christians, right, faith and salvation. We are at peace with God. We are beloved by God. With that blessing, how will you and I bless the nations? And sometimes in the, in the Christian church, we just start thinking outward, right? The other nations, and we forget, you know, our own nation desperately needs the gospel as well. How will we bless this? We, we are a nation that is filled with, with people who have souls that need to know the Lord. And, and that's where I want to touch on a little bit of application here. Since, since, since the cross, the, the, the church is, is God's covenant people, most full sense. We, we want blessing. We want it spiritually. We, we want it material too, right? Sure, but, but why? Why do, why do we want this blessing? Not just so that we can live this incredible life of, of leisure, right? But because like, like we see in Psalm 67, we want God to be known to the nations and including, again, our own nation that is desperate to know the gospel. And that means evangelism. And I know we don't always love that, right? Like, oh, this sounds like pressure, Maybe you already do, but, but if not, I, I do want you to consider something. What, what is it that actually keeps you from sharing about Jesus? I want to list a few things. Uh, one, I, I believe our, our lack of gospel proclamation stems from a lack of the kind of blessing that Psalm 67 speaks of. Namely, that, that we, that, that you and I, we, we need to be praying, asking for God's blessing to begin with. So, so that we can... Really, right? Asking for his face to shine upon us so that we're aware of it, so that we can, we can live with just greater awe of who God is. I don't know that we walk through our life with a sense of the, the awe, awesomeness of God. We pray for that so that we might just melt at, at the wonder of the gospel again if, if, if we have before. That, that God knows you. That God loves you, that God cares about you, that God has made massive sacrifice on your behalf, not because of anything glorious in you, but because he loves you. We, we need our affections for Jesus to be enlarged, our, our sense of uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit to be more real, and only God can do that for us. Only God can do that. Now there's this thing that whatever gives us joy, we, we naturally invite others into, it's just the way it is. If you are, you know, if you deeply enjoy stranger things, you want others to watch it, to, to enjoy it, to esteem it, to, to talk about it with you, that kind of thing. If, if you're moved by Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, you want others to feel what you feel when you hear that. Isn't that beautiful? It's far better than Taylor Swift. Turn that off. This Beethoven Fifth, right? You, you want other people to enjoy what you enjoy. If we are enthralled with God and all that he is and all that he is for us, we will instinctively invite others into that joy. And so maybe the deeper question here is, is what is your own life with Jesus like right now? Sometimes we kind of live off of our history, right? I can remember just being close to the Lord. I remember just seeking him and his word and prayer and, and the excitement and the joy. And we're like, I remember that, but now it's, it's not. Remember that. Get back to that. How, how has Jesus changed you? Where is there joy to be had in Christ that maybe you're not experiencing right now? 
Remember, the gospel transforms us. It is is poetry and and light in our lives. It it makes changes in us. In the the fictional Harry Potter books, are we far enough down the road that I can use that as an illustration now, right, Harry Potter? Uh, But anyway, Harry Potter books, the, the boy Harry learns that magic exists on his 11th birthday. And he's kind of amazed about this, didn't know this existed at all. And, and one of the moments I really love is, is four books later, I remember, I remember actually, this is when I learned about Harry Potter, these huge books, and there'd be like three-year-olds carrying it around. Um, and I thought I should probably figure out what's in that book. Anyway, uh, four years later, <clears throat> after magic has just become kind of this, this normal, mundane, for so many other characters, it's just like, yeah, that's how it works, we just... We go in the fireplace, and then we go. You know, all these crazy weird things happening, and Harry watches something magic happen that everyone else sees as mundane, and with his beaming smile, he just says, I love magic. And he's still joyful, and I love it because it's all these years later, right? He's still just as amazed by it. That's how I I want you and I to be with Jesus, with the wonder of God's grace to us in the gospel, that, that we still today are saying, I just, I love Jesus, I love grace. I I love what that means. I I love the Word of God. I love all that God's done for us. That it doesn't grow old for us. And part of that is our caring about the glory of God. That we can say with the prophet on Isaiah 26, 8, right? Your name and, and remembrance, right? A renown are the desire of our souls. We care about your glory. In other words, my prayer for me and you is that, is that we become just enamored with, with the twin goals of evangelism, right? The God's glory in, in our neighbor's salvation. Just enamored with that. In, in, in that order, John Stott once said, the greatest incentive in all of evangelism is not the need of human beings, but the glory of God. Not that they shall receive salvation, but that they shall give to God the honor that is due His name. In other words, that they'd worship but again, why are, we, why are we hesitant to speak of the glorious redemption of, of Christ? Why is it so fearful to us? And I'll ask you, right, maybe are, are you afraid of people? <clears throat> like for real, Christian, do you, do you fear what others will think about you if you talk about Jesus? What kind of light does that paint you in? What are they going to think about you? Are you afraid that they're going to lump you in with those hateful people out of Westboro Baptist that are labeled by the media as Christians, Right? You're worried you're going to think you're small-minded or, uh, you know, ignorant on some, war, some level of, of some insult that they're going to throw at you just because they're going to lump you in, right? Fear and worship are so closely connected that our, our fear of fellow man is really a form of worship of fellow man. Wanting to be loved and accepted by peers and, and strangers. In Luke 12, right, there's this temptation for Jesus' disciples to, to fear what the self-righteous Pharisees think of them. And it's in that context that Jesus says that line you've probably heard before, right? That Jesus says to his disciples, he says, I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I'll tell you, fear him. Of course, he means, he means God. You see, fearing fellow man is like, like being afraid of a tiny little gardener snake out in the yard while, while not acknowledging the majestic lion that stands just beyond him. And so ask God to give you a biblical sense of, of reverential fear for him, a worshipful sense of that. But again, right, why, why are we hesitant to speak about the gospel? And, and maybe you've forgotten 
that apart from the gospel, real people with real sins and real souls that will never, ever come to an end, that they will face the very wrath of God apart from the gospel. Believing it. Even in the church, we've all become so secularized to a point that we forget that forgiveness of sin is the single greatest need that every man, woman, and child on the planet has. It doesn't mean all the other things aren't really important needs, but there is nothing, nothing greater than the need of the forgiveness of sin. And so when you look at people, look at them and remember, right, they have a soul that will one day suffer the wrath of God because of their sin, or, or they will dwell with God for all of eternity because Jesus has suffered the wrath in their place graciously for them. So a practical aspect of this is, are you praying for the salvation of anyone in particular? If you're not, I, I want you to begin doing so. Think about the people you know at school, people you work with, people in your family, friends in the dorm, in the barracks, all these different places, right? <clears throat> and begin to do that. Let your mind be there. Start praying, you know. How, how will the Lord use you in this? Back to that question again. Why do we not share the gospel with others? I'll ask. Have you started to think that evangelism is just a job of professional evangelists or pastors or chaplains or campus ministers, right? That's what those guys do. I give so that they will go and share the gospel. Do you, do you think, you know, to yourself, well, you know, evangelism is not really my gift, so I'm not going to do that. It's not my thing. Just because you're not a professional chef doesn't mean that you never cook, right? You would probably starve to death if you did not do that. Or your out-to-eat bill would be insane. Uh, gospel proclamation is every Christian's calling, including yours. There's not an exception to that. And, and more to the point, you have relationships with people that I'm never going to know, that I'm never going to be able to develop a relationship you're in the position to do that. You have access to places at work, at school, that vocational ministers never will have access to. In, in, in 1 Peter 2.9, the Christians are told, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Talking about God, right? And listen to why God, God has made us a people for his own possession. He says this, he says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That you and I would proclaim the excellencies of God. That, that's part of what God has done that, right? We proclaim God's excellencies. Can, can you proclaim the excellencies of, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? And again, I, you, you don't need to have all the answers. I know that's one of the fears we have. You don't have to have all the answers. You can tell someone, I don't know what the answer is that. Let's try to figure it out, right? I think sometimes we're afraid of that, but you, you do need to be prepared for this, to be able to tell someone what it is that you have believed. What is the gospel you have trusted in? Tell them what you know about Jesus, the basics of the gospel. And, and that being said, I don't ever want you to be afraid of that. If, if you ever find yourself, you think, I, I would be willing to talk to this person, or they're asking some questions, and, and you want someone to come alongside, ask me. I will make time for that. There are a lot of things in life that are draining, but sitting around and talking to someone about Jesus, that is not one of them. I will make time for that. And so if you ever have that, let me know, and we can go and do that together. And, and so... Here's the other thing. Sometimes we, we act like Jesus is this big secret we're keeping. I've been there, right? I remember working in an office in seminary and, the, and thinking, there's these people on the other side of the wall that keep asking me questions. And I'm like, I, I didn't want them to know I was a Christian for a lot of reasons. But I, I can remember keeping that, that secret and thinking, that is so dumb later on. Why, why is this a secret? Why aren't I leading with this in some regard? 
Now, at our presbytery camp this, this summer, our youth presbytery camp, we all get together. One of our college leaders, uh, Jenna Fiscus, who I think's down in the nursery right now, she's supposed to be, or she's, she's slacking today if she's not. Now, I'm just going to throw her under the bus here, and you can tell her about this later, right? She had this, this crush on this boy, and she was keeping it a secret. She didn't want anybody to know uh, about this. And, and then one evening, she comes to Laura outside, and she says, Laura, all the girls in my cabin found out who I have a crush on. And Laura thought, oh no, how did that happen? Or how'd they find out? And she goes, I told them. Right? Surely you've solved the mystery. Uh, we think we figured out where the weak link here is. Church, I want you to keep secrets like Genefiscus keeps that. That's the way you need to hold on to these, right? I would love for you to come and say, you know what? My coworker found out about Jesus. And when you go, oh, how'd that happen? I told them, right? First Romans 10, 14, right, says this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And think about preaching here, not in the formal senses right now, right? But, but in the sense of sharing the gospel, proclaiming the gospel with somebody. All right, two more quick things and we'll finish up here. First, God is sovereign. You don't have to sell anyone on the gospel. That's what that means, okay? Your zeal, your, your skills of, of persuasion might be a wonderful gift of the Lord, but they are not necessary to convince anyone to come to faith because you're not going to convince anyone to come to faith. You're going to share the gospel. You're going to share God's word. You're going to be praying for someone, and, and God's going to work, right? That, that, that is the way that happens. You, you can do that, and, and don't be afraid. Trust the means of grace that the Lord gives us. Um, in other words, don't be afraid of saying the wrong thing. Just tell them in whom you've believed. And, and second, right here, I, I haven't touched on missions today, which might seem weird when you're thinking about this, right? If you think about it, like, that is clearly a missional, or missions psalm. He even said so at the beginning and then talk about missions. Uh, the reason is, I, I wanted to approach this in the way that most of us are, are going to live this out, are going to apply this in our lives as those who are living in the middle of Kansas, right? Which is not that bad. Um, however, let me ask you right now, have you considered being a missionary? The Lord might be calling you to that. If that's you, if you have an inkling to think, you know what, I would love to travel to some nation where there's not a lot of Christians so that I can share the, the hope of Christ with the nations that they might be glad to come and worship the Lord. If that's you at all, come and talk to me. Let's, let's talk. Now, for the rest of you, are, are you praying for missionaries as well? I, I can't mention them by name. Tim did earlier, but this part gets put online. That part does not. Um, uh, and, and we have a wonderful young missional couple, couple that is serving in, right, the east. Or what do we say? What's the official slang? Far east, the far east. Um, pray for them, right? We can give you their information. You can contact them to encourage them. Uh, this couple is, is pretty isolated in a predominantly Muslim nation. And they are there because they long to see the people of this nation know Christ, to see them be, be glad, right, to, to sing uh, to be glad and to sing with joy for the, to the Lord of Lords. And so pray that the Lord will bring many to faith in Jesus through their faithful proclamation of the gospel there. But furthermore, be praying for those that are serving on, on K-State. A lot of the nations come here. A lot of Kansas comes here. Students from all over the place. Pray for, for John and, and Trisha and, and Knox with his weird mustache. There it is. It's still there. 
Uh, pray for Knox with RUF, for, for Zach and, and Jeremy with crew, and, and pray for each other also. I think we forget this one. We're always talking about people in vocational ministry, like that's the only place the gospel is going out, right? Uh, you are all ambassadors for Christ. You are, you are all missionaries in, in, in that sense that the gospel goes through you. So yes, pray for each other. Um, that, that wherever it is that Christ takes you, that the gospel might go with you, whether it be the physical therapy room or uh, right in the, in the field with the army or the office or the dorms or wherever it might be. And, and, and once again, I, I, I want you to think of someone, and this is coming to an end, right? Uh, of someone or a few people and start praying for the Lord to bring them the faith. Start, start praying, Lord, how might I participate in the sharing of the gospel here? Uh, how might I do this wisely and, 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 and do it in a way that is, is honoring to the Lord? And then I, I just want to close with this quote from John Piper that I, I failed to read earlier. I think it's in your bulletin. And, and, and when you hear the word missions here, also think evangelism, okay? Um, he says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When when this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. Let us pray. Lord, Lord God Almighty, you are worthy of all the worship of all the nations and all our hearts. And Lord, we know that our hearts will not be satisfied until we are set free to worship you. And so we ask, Lord, please, please stir our affections, renew our sense of wonder at your grace, at redemption, at knowing you and, and the joy of worshiping you. Please give us hearts that see the gospel need of those in our, our houses and our places of works and our dorms and our barracks and, and everywhere else that you take us and, and move us to care about the eternal condition of our neighbors and to care about the worship of the nations. Father, and may we, may we not do this out of some guilt or shame, but, but make us so satisfied that we desire to do it. Yeah, Lord, just make us satisfied gospel proclaimers. Make us welcoming beacons of hope. Make us joyful messengers of, of the good news of Christ. Lord, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And this we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.